Parents, it's Friday, February 16, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and it's been a, a wild couple of nights since we last recorded. Villanova lost at Providence. Kentucky lost at Auburn. Purdue lost at Wisconsin. Ohio State lost at Penn State. St. Mary's lost at San Francisco. Norlander, congratulations on never having to wake up and rank basketball teams every morning because it has been a pain in the ass over the past couple of days. This sport has stumbled out of the bar gotten gotten maybe a quarter mile down the road, tripped over itself, gone headfirst into a ditch, lost its shoes, and now it is completely beside itself. There are so many results here on an every night basis that are making it so hard to decipher any sort of tiered system for the teams right now in college basketball. Top teams Teams, you know, floating in that 8 to 15 range. Teams trying to hold on to their top 25 ranking. Teams that are close to getting wins on the bubble. Teams that we didn't think would be on the bubble that are on the bubble. We've had a ton going on here. And for any potential new listeners, welcome to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. We know that we tend to get more and more people into the pod as we get closer and closer to March. We are looking at a very intriguing season because since we had the selection committee reveal the top 16 teams on their bracket last Sunday... Almost all of the teams have taken a loss. Virginia, Villanova, Cincinnati, Purdue is on a three-game losing streak. The only team right now that is still in relatively good shape compared to, I guess, where it was on the seed line, where it believes it should be on the seed line, is Michigan State, which hasn't lost. It's a 25-3 and and has a, a road game against a weak Northwestern team on Saturday. But as we explained on the last podcast, Michigan State still over, it lacks the overall wins in, uh, in Quadrant 1 right now. And I'm interested to see if a lot of these teams lose around Michigan State and the Spartans don't lose again or only take one loss to a good team, uh, will they wind up benefiting because of that? I'll be interested to see that. Um, obviously, you should note that you know Texas Tech is, is also on a pretty good winning streak, so it's not like every single team has taken a loss. Gonzaga's looked good, and it's in command of that league again after I'm glad you mentioned St. Mary's, which, you know, it, it could afford that loss against San Francisco. I will note that San Francisco's coach, Kyle Smith, Used to be an assistant under Randy Bennett, but St. Mary's does not have a lot of room for error there. Xavier's winning close, but overall, you look around, GP. It's I I, I do have some uh, some sympathy for you in that you have to rank these teams on a daily basis. For me, it has been damn interesting to see, you know. Teams, I guess, not be able to sustain success. Kansas already has six losses. Clemson obviously recently took a loss. Ohio State was in command of the Big Ten lead, and it got ragdolled at Penn State last night. And we're going to get to the Nittany Lions in a little bit there. Um, I also want to note that Wichita State, it, it, needed, it didn't need the win at home against Temple, but it would have been facing a sweep at the hands of Temple. It would have been really damaging to Wichita State's seed. It was better for the American, even though... Th- that league's going to want to get as many teams in as possible. You want to have Wichita State with a relatively healthy, strong seed. Shockers come back. They get that huge win on Thursday night. But was what was good, in my opinion, was Houston getting really, really, really close to lock status and able to win at home over Cincinnati. And in the process, by the way, we, de- we never talk enough about the Bearcats, and I get that. There's a, there's a few reasons why. They don't have a lot of high-profile games. They're not uh, a very fun team to watch on offense. They don't give a lot of results that would, that would propel us to talk about them on the podcast, and yet they're always really good. And despite that, 
They're going to continue to kind of zip under the radar just a little bit here, even though they've got a high-profile game, which we will get to on Sunday. The Bearcats finally had their long winning streak snapped. Where do you want to go with this pairage? Because there are so many different results. We can take a grand takeaway of the sport. Like, yeah, there are no great teams. Well, maybe that winds up being the case. I'm not sure. All I know is I'm really enjoying this. It's a complete quagmire, and um, it's going to make March really interesting because I think those conference tournaments, which I've always maintained, um, have have their own set of drama and, and importance and can mean something for seeding selection. They might even be more emphasized this season. So the first thing I want to do is make note that for the first time in the history of the Ion College basketball, the following sentence has been said. We're going to get to the Nittany lines in just a little bit. I don't think that's ever been said on the Iowa College Basketball Podcast, and we actually will get to the Nittany lines in a little bit because uh, they're now on the bubble after absolutely murdering Ohio State. Like, Ohio State was down big early and never really got into that game. I think Penn State goes on to win it uh, by, like, 23. You mentioned St. Mary's. Well, before we get to St. Mary's, let me touch on Michigan State because I've got them ranked second at the top 25 and one right now. And I know that the reason Selection Committee had them down as a three seed was because of a lack of quad one wins. But that's where that system just gets a little screwy because there's just no way to have eight teams even uh, on Sunday. Certainly not now, but even on Sunday, there was no way to have eight teams ranked ahead of Michigan State, which is what you have to have to have them uh, as a three seed. I, I, I. I'm torn on the quad system. I actually don't know if you and I have talked about this yet, but I'm torn on the quad system for this reason. On one, I like the idea that they are trying to put something visual on a screen in front of selection committee members that says, hey, this win over uh, a top 40 team on the road is just as good as this win over a top 15 team at home. So I, I like that idea. I hate that they use the RPI to to form the the rankings, and I I think they stretched it out too much. Basically, a one through seventy road win is put into the same category as a one through thirty home win, which means, and I know this isn't technically true, but like it's all grouped together. If you beat Virginia at home, it's the same as beating Wyoming on the road. That doesn't make sense. Even I don't even think Wyoming fans would argue with that. And so. I, I think you lose a lot of credibility with the quad system there. And if you're using it to to reach a conclusion that is nonsensical, like Michigan State doesn't deserve to be a one or a two seed, then I, I think it can be counterproductive. Quadrant system is not perfect. It is an improvement on what we had. The fact that it's based off of RPI data is very problematic, and the NCAA needs to get rid of the RPI in its ranking system as soon as possible, ideally by next season. You are hitting on the biggest flaw here of the quadrant system in that there should be, like, you can make the case that winning at home against the 10th-ranked team is just as difficult as winning on the road against the 50th-ranked team. Like, there there can be scenarios in which that is absolutely true. But if you absolutely take it to its extreme with Virginia and Wyoming, uh, would agree that that is, uh, that is not the kind of data point you want uh, lined up against each other. Uh, I prefer the quadrant system to what we had, and... Not to repeat myself too much here, but the NCAA is trying to get a system in place that it will be comfortable using for the next generation. I think the quadrants are going to be that. What remains to be seen is how 
the NCAA tinkers with that system and whether it can get its um, analytic experts at Google and MIT, et cetera, to, to put in uh, a system that would work. There are other potential metrics that are, I'm not going to really slip down the rabbit hole here, but yes, it is, it is definitely not perfect. Um, it is an improvement in my opinion, and you're going to expose yourselves to inconsistencies and you know what? Let me just make one quick point on this. Um, here's why it's a big problem. If you had, and I'm not advocating for a selection committee of, of 10 media members and analytical minds, but if you had people that follow the sport like you do, like I do, on an everyday basis, they wouldn't necessarily need the data to uh, bring about their arguments. It would It would merely sometimes bolster or challenge their arguments. But with the selection committee, these are people that are conference commissioners and athletic directors, and they do follow the sport, but I can guarantee you they do not follow it uh, at the level that we do and with, the <laughs> and with quite, quite frankly, the passion that we do because I just know that's not the case. So what will happen is uh, they will they will convene and they will have some preconceived notions and uh, on on what teams look like and their strengths and they'll know you know what they've been able to do and maybe if they didn't have a player here and there but what is inevitable is with a lot of these teams they are going to be overwhelmed um, maybe not overwhelmed is the right word but certainly um, the data the quadrants those team sheets are going to drive a lot of their impressions on how they should seed and select teams and. I would prefer it was more of a situation where they did not use it like a roadmap, but rather an occasional reference. I don't believe that is the case. And so when you have the selection committee members using the quadrant system with RPI data, that's where the entire infrastructure is at its most vulnerable to missteps and misseedings and, quite frankly, not putting a team into the tournament from a mid-major conference that would honestly deserve it. And if you used other ranking systems that aren't being taken into account, they might be rewarded therein. So that that is my bigger concern. I know the quadrant system is not perfect, GP. Um, I am more concerned with the, with the committee using it and maybe over-relying on the data when it is still faulty data. You should have been with us in uh, studio the other night. We had a bunch of researchers and producers, directors, and we got into a conversation about the quadrant system because we were going to discuss it on air. And what's remarkable is, like, I think prior to Sunday, the, the casual college basketball fan had no idea what that even was. And I still think maybe even some people listening to us don't have a good grasp for what it is. And so I'm trying to explain it to to the room, you know, there's probably like 10 of us participating in this conversation. And, you know, I would get stopped and somebody would say, hold up. Beating the number one team in the country at home, according to this system, is no different than beating the number 65 team on the road. That's where we, like wherever, Wyoming was right around in that range. That's why I referenced them. And I was like, that's right. Those are both quad one wins. So beating Villanova at home and winning at Wyoming, same thing. Yes, both quad one wins. And, and these people... Uh, would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like these are just people who, are, you know, they're, they they understand college basketball, but you know, they're mostly researchers, assistants, that kind of stuff. If they know just right, like if they can hear what I just said and go, well, that makes no sense. Why do you think the selection committee didn't didn't also say, well, that makes no sense? Like, how did we get to that system? I'm not saying that we don't need a quadrant system. I just don't know how you take it all the way out to 70 um, for a road win. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Ryder is 66th in the RPI. 
That means uh, you could beat Duke at home or win at Ryder. Same thing. Does that make any sense? It doesn't, but you're also relying on RPI data. Ryder is 121 in Ken Palm. It's in the 120s in Sagarin. Um, so inherently the quadrant system, which is, which is, again, in my opinion, an improvement because the committee is looking at neutral and road performance and getting a better sense of how they can weight those things and maybe not punish teams for tough road losses or really reward them for good road wins. Uh, but again, when you're looking at RPI data, it can really have a bad impact. And that's why I think my expectation is that there will be um, some brutal miss seedings in this, in this, in this season's tournament. And that is, uh, it's not acceptable, but in a, in a stage of transition, I think it is inevitable. And I just know we are going to be having that discussion that Sunday night after the brackets released. Yeah, if I were to improve this, um, the way I would do it, I think, is I'd use a different um, – I would use something different than the RPI. I'm not – obviously, if you read the top 25 and one or you listen to this podcast, you know that I use – I personally use Kinpom as a grouping tool. I'm not saying that's what the selection committee should use. I'm, I just am saying it's better than the RPI. It's different than the RPI. But I also think better if your goal is to, to try to um, label teams in certain groups. I think Kinpom is better at grouping – than you know, good, bad, average, whatever, than the RPI is. But if you wanted to use a different metric, fine with me, um, but find a different uh, ranking tool, and then I would shrink the quadrants one way or another. And, other, and I'm not smart enough to know exactly where that number is. Frankly, that's something, um, but I do think that's something that could be figured out. Like I think Ken could probably figure that out. And I would say it's somewhere short of 70. I don't know if it's 45 or 55 or 60, but there's a, it's got to be short of 70 to where when I say a sentence like this, it's not, it's not true. The sentence being you can beat Duke at home and that's a quad one win. You can win at Ryder and that's a quad one, quad one win. That doesn't make any sense. So I'd start moving that uh, bar on the right-hand side uh, closer to the bar on the left-hand side. And you, I don't know where that point is, uh, but again, I think it's probably um, well short of, of 70 or at least someone short of 70. I want to circle back to St. Mary's real quick because they lost um, last night, Thursday night at San Francisco. And so that's three sub 75 Ken Palm losses. They've got two top 50 Ken Palm losses and I dropped them out of the top 25 and one completely. I mean, they've got you know really bad losses on the resume now. Um, really? I mean, they beat a New Mexico state team. That's good. Um, and but that happened like a million years ago. They won at Gonzaga. That's obviously great. But they have so few games against quality opponents that they become very difficult to try to to assess, to say, OK, is this team really good or just OK? And we struggled with this last year as well. Like all the like they had a great Kimpom number, but the resume was garbage. And, um, I, you know, right now, I think they're around 19, 20, 21 in Ken Palm, but I dropped them out of the top 25 and one. And I don't even feel bad about it because sometimes you look at schools and you go, you know, their league just doesn't give them opportunities. What are you going to do? They're winning every game. They deserve the attention they're getting. But with St. Mary's, they don't even try to schedule aggressively at all outside of the league. So um, I don't feel sorry for them the way I sometimes feel sorry for other schools in similar uh, situations. I got the gals completely out. Am I wrong or right? Uh, that's probably right. Um, when you look at the totality of the resume versus other teams, only four losses, but three of them aren't good. Georgia's nowhere near the bubble, in my opinion. And that's a resume that's problematic. And this could be, 
I mean, hold on, let me bring up his resume here. Randy Bennett made last season's tournament, but has not made the tournament one, two, three times, four times, four times. So four times when he has had at least 23 wins in a season at the end of the season. That season did not include a trip to the NCAA tournament. The West Coast Conference obviously is part of that when it's not being able to produce three or four teams annually that are in the NCAA tournament picture by the end of February. But it's also uh, Bennett's hesitation against scheduling ambitiously in non-conference. He doesn't like to travel far for road or neutral games uh, if it's under his control. Rhode Island reached out. I think I mentioned this on the podcast. Rhode Island reached out to uh, St. Mary's to talk about a uh, home-and-home or something similar. St. Mary's didn't want to do it. And I tell you what, if uh, if they had done that and, and potentially St. Mary's had gotten that home game this season and was able to get that kind of win, uh, would be very, very valuable on its resume overall. The Gales would be an interesting matchup in the tournament, and they do have the talent to get a game or two. I think they can make the Sweet 16 with, they ha- with what they have. But now, very little margin for error. They play at Portland on Saturday. They'll wrap up at home against two teams they should win easily against in Pepperdine and Santa Clara. But now... There's some un, uh, unnecessary pressure on this on this team. They they have to get to the West Coast Conference tournament final, and <laughs> it just should never it should never have have been have have been like that. Um, even like I think I have this right. I think Rhode Island was even willing to say it won't even be a home and home. We'll play in Long Island at like Nassau Coliseum or something like that. I think that's what it was, and. We'll come out and play you, like in Sacramento or whatever. So it was relatively, you know, true neutral sites. Wouldn't do it for whatever reason, and and now they could come to you know Bennett could come to rue the day with that, and um, it just goes to show you that I team scheduling and trying to get games done in July, August, even into September. It almost never gets pub because, honestly, that's, that's the dregs of the offseason. You never know how good these teams are going to be. But those decisions wind up having massive impact come March, and St. Mary's is a shining example of that. Yeah, I'll never understand, if I live to be a million, why if you've got a great program, and I do think St. Mary's, at the very least, St. Mary's is a really good program. They are consistently good. Um, if you've got that kind of program in that kind of league, why would you not load up in your non-league schedule just to give yourself some wiggle room um, in case you take losses like a loss at San Francisco? Because you let them lose one more of these stupid games and then lose to Gonzaga in the uh, in the in the tournament, West Coast Conference tournament, or somebody else in the West Coast Conference tournament, they're going to be sweating. Like because there's not much to their resume. And you know, if I were uh, honestly the, the the head coach at St. Mary's, the head coach at Gonzaga. Um, I would I would be trying to schedule as aggressively as I can outside of the league because you know you're going to coast in your league. And in fact, I would I would and let me let me stop and say this. I understand that scheduling is way more difficult um, than I'm probably making it out to be. It's much easier to talk about than it is actually to get done. But I would try. And the story you uh, you told about Rhode Island reaching out to St. Mary's suggests that they're not even trying. Like, why wouldn't you just say yes to that? Because you're going to run through your league anyway, and uh, you need quality opportunities, particularly with the way the selection committee is using quadrants now. And so uh, what I would love is for Gonzaga, and and Gonzaga used to do this with Memphis, because Mark Few and John Calipari, we've talked about this before, had the same problem. They would run through their leagues, Memphis at Conference USA, Gonzaga obviously in the WCC, and almost operate off the national radar in January, 
in February and early March. And so what Mark and John did was agree to play. Uh, I, I don't even think they were at home and homes as much as well. They played at FedEx Forum, and then John wouldn't go to the kennel. He so he'd play them in downtown Spokane. But either way, you would get this big game in maybe January, February, where um, you put it on national television, and you would test yourself against comparable competition. More important, you would have an opportunity to either add a great win for your resume, or if you lost it, it's just like it's a loss to a to a to a really good team. What difference does it make? I wish Gonzaga and St. Mary's would both do that now. Like, what if you'd have to work with the leagues? But you could carve out a weekend when you know you're going to be good. If like coming up this weekend, we had Rhode Island against St. Mary's and we had Gonzaga against Nevada. Like wouldn't that, wouldn't that benefit all four programs? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so yeah, like you do, you, you go that route and you get a, an extra game against quality competition. You get it in a, a, a point in the calendar where, you probably haven't been tested consistently too much lately. I just don't know why um, why more schools don't, particularly schools. And, you know, in Nevada, Eric just got this thing going, Eric Musselman. So, like, he's new to all this. And maybe you wouldn't do something like that at Nevada. I don't even know if he expected to be as good as he actually is this year. But at St. Mary's and Gonzaga, it should be a no-brainer at this point. Like, do whatever. And, and Mark Few does schedule aggressively outside of the league. I don't think Randy Bennett does nearly enough. And um, it could end up costing them on Section Sunday, and nobody should feel sorry for them because you'll forever have that story. Yo, you could have had a game against Rhode Island. Um, it would have given you an opportunity to get um, another quality win. It would have been a quadrant one win in this particular year, and you rejected that. So you get uh, you get what you get. If you're looking for tickets to anything, SeatGeek is the place to look. It's where I look. It's where Matt Norlander looks. We've got the apps on our phone. You should, too. I got a phone call from a friend uh, just a few days ago, he's coming into town, into Memphis, where I live, uh, next week. He said, hey, can you get me Grizzlies tickets? And I said, why do you want Grizzlies tickets? They uh, they stink. I don't know if you heard. They're stuck on 18 wins. They're trying to get Marvin Bagley or DeAndre Ayton. He said, yeah, but the king is coming to town. It's true. The king, King James, LeBron, going to be at FedEx Forum uh, next Friday night. So I said, okay, that makes sense. And though I could uh, call it a favor with the Grizzlies, it's probably not the game you're calling favors for because they'll probably sell out for LeBron James, even though the Grizzlies are terrible. So what did I do? I went to SeatGeek. I used the app and in a matter of seconds, a couple of clicks. I was looking at all sorts of tickets. I've got him taken care of. So it's simple stuff uh, over at SeatGeek. And it's also um, the best way to search for tickets because um, it's going to search multiple ticket sites for you, and it's going to make sure you're getting the best value. You know, you, you used to have to wonder, bouncing from one ticket site to the other, like, am I looking at the best seats available? Am I getting the best price available? You don't have to worry about that anymore. SeatGeek searches everything for you. It figures it out, and everything is fully guaranteed. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you're going to get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. So make sure to do that. It's not just for college basketball games, NBA games, hockey games, concerts, anything you can buy tickets to, you can buy it at SeatGeek. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So go download the app if you don't already have it. It's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Let's look ahead a little bit. Saturday we got, I don't know if it's a great slate of games, but it's a pretty good slate of games. And obviously the big one is number three, Villanova, at number four, Xavier. And what's interesting is that really just like eight days ago, Villanova was ranked number one in the country, had a one-game lead in the Big East, 
um, seemed certain to win the fifth straight Big East title, at least a share, and was on everybody's uh, one-seed line. Uh, they've lost two of their past three games, both to unranked opponents, first at home to St. John's, then at Providence. In between, they beat Butler. And now they've fallen one game behind Xavier. And if they don't win at Xavier this weekend, there's two games in the loss column behind Xavier, and Xavier only has three games left to play, and Xavier's going to be favored in every one of those games. I think one of them is actually against DePaul. Uh, my point being this, uh, unless Villanova wins at Xavier on Saturday, Villanova is not going to win a share of the Big East title for the fifth consecutive year. That streak is going to come to an end. That's big news, but hold on here. Did you just skip over a huge A-10 game on Friday night? I thought we were going to talk about this. I thought we were going to keep the Rhode Island theme going. Here's the problem. with um, If you notice on the Wednesday podcast, I try not to talk about Wednesday night games. And so on the Friday podcast, I try not to talk about Friday night games because I assume that a lot of people are going to be listening to this on Friday night or Saturday morning getting ready for the game. And then it sounds dated because we're talking about something that's already Happen. But if your suggestion is that I'm shortchanging Rhode Island St. Bonaventure, which is an awesome game like that, I can't wait to get home and watch. Um, I accept that as a reasonable criticism. Let's talk about Rhode Island and St. Bonaventure if you want to. Yeah, well, here's what I would say. I would say that our our podcast listeners love when we talk about um, perhaps teams that we don't talk about a lot, but there's fervent fan bases. And the Rams and Bonaventure fan bases, I think, are the two most hardcore in that conference don't at me, VCU fan. Don't even think about it. And so even if they got to this on Saturday, they would appreciate that we gave their team some love, even if they're listening to it after they know the results of the game. So real quick on this, huge for Bonaventure. Um, Rhode Island, I do not believe is going to have E.C. Matthews in this game. Uh, you know, Hurley, Dan Hurley told me earlier in the week that, thank God, it wasn't a serious knee injury. Um, day-to-day kind of situation. As we record this, I am under the impression he will not play in this game, and they would not want to chance that. Um, Bonaventure is not in the tournament field right now, and it would have a very hard time getting in if it not did not win this game. It would that would mean a sweep at the hands of Rhode Island, um, in addition to uh, a couple of a couple of rough losses. There's nothing brutal on the schedule except for a home loss to Niagara, but Bonaventure with the win would be 20 and six, 10 and four in the league. The A10 uh, really needs to get two teams in the tournament it's a sad state of affairs in that league right now um it would be beneficial to that conference if the bonnies can come out and win this game i think they're going to jalen adams has been ridiculous as of late and is uh playing up to the level that we had him on our top 101 players list in the preseason give me the bonnies to end rhode island streak um i'm not exceedingly confident in this but i'll go 78 75 st bonaventure I think St. Bonaventure wins at home. I mean, it's going to be an amazing atmosphere. Like, really, if you're um, – I know that you, we're not programmed to to watch college basketball on, on Friday nights. Like, that's typically uh, a night where you don't have to worry about the sport. Or it used to be, at least. Now we got some games. Like, Big Ten games are on Friday night. Um, you get an A-10 matchup on a Friday night. But, like, if you're a college basketball fan, St. Bonaventure, Rhode Island should be awesome. Those are two very good teams. And – uh, Jalen Adams is terrific. Somebody tweeted his stats for the month of February earlier. We're only halfway through the month, but I mean, they were off the charts. It's like over 30 points per game, you know, like six, seven assists, three, four rebounds, um, shooting percentages across the board. Really good. Um, he's been playing like one of the best guards in America, which, you know, that's the way he should be playing. He is one of the best guards uh, in America. It'll be a big night at the Wojnarowski household because uh, Adrian and his Beautiful wife, Amy, beautiful wife Amy are both uh, Bonaventure grads, and they care about St. Bonaventure basketball. 
Like, it is funny to be with Woj during a St. Bonaventure game. Or, like, he'll be texting me nonstop during St. Bonaventure games. Like, he gets into it in a way that I think would be hysterical if people could, like, watch him watch St. Bonaventure basketball. He cares so deeply about it. Like, he's mad about losses. He gets really happy about wins. And so um, I know that they will uh, be locked in later tonight. And uh, I think a lot of people will. It's a very good matchup, and I'm with you. I think St. Bonaventure probably wins it at home. All right, with Nova and Xavier, fascinating Big East matchup. And with Xavier, this is, you know, a win here. One seed implications as far as I'm concerned. And maybe this winds up going to the Big East tournament and being a determining factor or not. We mentioned earlier how Xavier has yet to fall victim to to being uh, in that top 16 that the NCAA selection committee released. It has not lost yet. Oh, man, this is absolutely the highlight game of the weekend. And, you know, Trayvon blew it. I'll tell you this much. Woo! He's been ball. GP. Not only that, like, he's been tremendous. This is – this game, whomever plays better between him and Brunson gets a win on top of a really strong performance. We could very easily on Sunday be talking about, all right, let's really lay out the case here for either Brunson or Blewett versus Trey Young. We'll see what Trey can do this weekend in his game. Um, but this is just absolutely – a 430 tip on Saturday – I am going to take – here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Xavier to win this game, and I'm still not going to sell on Villanova. Uh, I'm still – even if even if Nova loses by 15 points here, uh, I will have confidence in Jay Wright's program to get itself good in time for the Big East tournament. But I'll take Xavier. I'll take him by, uh, by an 81-76 to 76 final. Uh, Blewett is now averaging 19.6 points, 5.7 rebounds per game, shooting 46% from the field, 44.3% from three-point range, had 37 the other night, uh, was just terrific. I don't know if, how much you saw of that, if, if any, but like he was just making shots from all over the court. I mean, he looked phenomenal. And um, if he goes big against Villanova to essentially clinch the Big East title, because, again, after Saturday, Xavier only has three games left. Georgetown, Providence, DePaul. It's at Georgetown, home against Providence, and at DePaul. They would have to lose two of those games, and then Villanova would have to go undefeated the rest of the right way, which includes games at Creighton. And see, it's just over. It's over. It ain't happening. If Villanova doesn't win Saturday at Xavier, Villanova is not getting at least a share of the Big East title. And so um, – if Blewett goes big and that essentially secures the biggest title for Xavier, I do think we maybe are on his Sunday night talking about we've we've discussed Trey Young for National Player of the Year forever, and still he is the front runner. But when we were talking about alternative candidates, it's always been Jalen Brunson, Marvin Bagley. Like, should Trevon Blewett be in that conversation? I think he probably will be. Uh, yeah, unquestionably, especially if Xavier's – even if, even with a home loss here, and if they can rebound and get to a Big East championship, and Blewett continues at his pace, there's no doubt about it. Like it's going to be hard for Blewett to play himself off of the first team All American list, in my opinion. He's been that good. Xavier's been that much fun, and I'll be interested to see if this game is close. Obviously, close being decided by uh, six points or less. If Xavier can win again, if they do, they'll be ten and zero this season. West Virginia plays at Kansas. That's a six o'clock tip. Hold up, can I offer my prediction for oh. Villanova Xavier? Sorry, I'm just trying to. I was trying to move the podcast along. Plus, no one really cares about who you think is going to win. But go ahead. <laughs> just according, kidding. According to Ken Palm, Villanova is going to be favored at Xavier. 
They would be a two-point favorite right now, according to Kim Pong. I know what which you're means, doing. Which means I'm taking the Musketeers. Straight up! Xavier, straight up! West Virginia plays at Kansas <laughs> uh, at 6 uh, o'clock on Saturday. The Jayhawks, um, they obviously uh, turned things around to a certain degree in terms of their, I think, their, uh, their Big 12 hopes earlier this season when they won at West Virginia. That was a game that very few people expected the Jayhawks to be able to win. And now they're going to try and win back-to-back games after winning at Iowa State earlier this week. Devontae Graham is another player trying to to land on first-team All-American lists. Um, I am going to take Kansas at home here, and in doing so, Kansas will try and keep stride with Texas Tech. I think the inevitability there is that the Jayhawks and the Red Raiders will find themselves tied atop the Big 12 standings at the end of the regular season. Give me the Jayhawks um, comfortably here. And I mean like 77-66 kind of comfortable. Yeah, I think Kansas wins at Allen Fieldhouse. I know that they've already lost, I guess it's three times, inside Allen Fieldhouse this season. I do not think they're going to lose another home game. Uh, They've got West Virginia on Saturday. Then Monday, quick turnaround, they get Oklahoma and Trey Young. So I guess they're susceptible there just because when Trey Young gets going, um, you know, they can be – you know, they can be tough to deal with, whether it's home or away. Uh, They did win at Wichita State earlier this season. But my guess is um, that Kansas doesn't lose another home game. And ultimately, the Big 12 race is going to come down to, I I believe, February 24th, because that's when Kansas is going to have to go to Texas Tech. And if Kansas can't win at Texas Tech, I think a lot like if Villanova can't win at Xavier, uh, they're going to have a tough time extending that streak. But in this game, uh, keeping it uh, focused on Saturday, yeah, I think Kansas comfortably uh, takes care of West Virginia inside Allen Fieldhouse. Let's stick in the Big 12 for a second. Texas at number 23, Oklahoma. We spent a lot of time talking about Trey Young. We've spent a lot of time in recent weeks talking about Oklahoma. Uh, they're not playing well. He hasn't been playing well. He's missed 18 of his last 19 three-point attempts. Does he get it straight uh, tomorrow against the Longhorns? This is the game you're going to start your afternoon with. This is a noon tip, and uh, that'll be fun to see what Trey can do at home against the Longhorns. Uh, Absolutely a stop-the-bleeding situation here for the Sooners. A loss at home here uh, for Oklahoma. I would put pen to paper, GP. I will uh, perhaps be overreactionary right now and say a loss here for Oklahoma might induce me to put them on on the eight-line. Seven at best, I would think. Uh, but again, that requires going pen to paper and, and comparing resumes. You still have them top 25 and one, right? I do. Okay. Um, unquestionably, they would fall out of that if they lost at home to Texas. Uh, just a quick note on Texas. They are on a three-game losing streak, so there is going to be a team here that drops this game that's going to be uh, in a squeeze situation. Texas is intriguing. Um, I think they've got potential to be the Vanderbilt of 2018. And what I mean by that is last season, Vanderbilt had a very strong, yes, strength of schedule. And that collective uh, strength of schedule is what got not only Vanderbilt into the tournament, but as I said at the time, uh, on, I was not surprised where they were. But to land in that 8-9 game, uh, despite a record that was not good, let me bring it up here so I can reference it directly. I remember a lot of people being like, how the hell is Vanderbilt not only in, but in with that much ease? Last season, they were uh, eight, uh, 19 and 15 going into the tournament. Texas's record this season 
could very well be right along those lines. And they've got good wins, though. Like, they've got a Butler win that has aged very, very well. They won on a neutral against Alabama, and the Crimson Tide are, are looking like they're headed toward the NCAA tournament. And then within the league, they defeated uh, Texas Tech. And if they got a win here, they'd have a sweep of Oklahoma. So they're building more and more. Um, there it would it would go a long way i think with texas's case for a healthier seed than people expect if they were able to win here three of their final five games are on the road so they're going to take more losses just keep that in mind texas doesn't have a record that's going to pop to you and um i still think they're going to get into the field no andrew jones are getting evaluated without him now just keep that in mind i will make a prediction here and obviously trey young over under as always very much looking forward to seeing what espn does with this tomorrow on uh, game day and uh, on the broadcast um with oklahoma at home in a desperate situation i'm going to go 33 and a half points 12 and a half assists and five-and-a-half turnovers for Trey Young. And I usually ask you first what you're going to do, but I'm actually going to respond first. I am going to go under in points. Uh, I am going to go over in assists. I think he's going to have one of his best days distributing the ball tomorrow. So I'll go under 33.5 points, over 12.5 assists. And I think he's going to be pretty good uh, with the ball in his hands. I will go at five turnovers. That is just under five-and-a-half. What about you? I'm going to disagree on every one. I'm going to go over points, under assist, and over turnovers, and I do think Oklahoma wins the game. How much? Do you think it'll be close? I think they'll win comfortably. Like I think they'll win by 8, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. And then I think Texas is in real trouble. I mean, they've obviously lost three straight. They're sitting here at 15 and 11 now. You mentioned they've got three more road games at Oklahoma, at, at Kansas State, and then at Kansas I think they're, uh, you know, they're going to be sitting on Selection Sunday with like 14, 15, 16 losses. I don't think they're making the NCAA tournament. We'll see. I'm not, uh, I'm not outright disagreeing with that. There's something about their numbers. If they can get one or two more wins, and I think they're going to some way, somehow, both in regular season and Big 12 play, I think they're going to get in. But we'll see. Here's the other problem, and you, you pointed it out. It's the Andrew Jones thing. Um, I, it, it feels a little weird talking about this, uh, given that it's such a real-life situation, but it does have ramifications on, on the way that the committee is going to evaluate them. You mentioned some of their good wins. That was Butler. I think Andrew Jones played in that game. It was Alabama. I think Andrew Jones played in that game. And so some of their best wins came when um, a player who is clearly no longer avail available was available, and the committee will and should take that into account. And I think that will that's going to be too much for, for them to overcome. I, I think they're going to have too many losses on Selection Sunday, and um, the Andrew Jones factor will be factored in, and it's it won't work out well uh, for Texas. I hope I'm wrong because it would be awesome uh, to to have that program and those, those young people overcome um, this very real-life scary thing and, and get to where it is they wanted to go, which is obviously the NCAA tournament, but um, – if you're asking me to bet my own money on it right now, Texas in or out of the bracket on Selection Sunday, I'd probably have to um, have to bet probably out. Um, Texas Tech will stay in the Big 12 just a little bit longer at Baylor. Baylor's now won four straight games, most recently against that Texas team. Um, you know, like This is a scary spot for Texas Tech. Like When you're trying to win a Big 12 title outright, and that should be the goal right now, not just to win a Big 12 title, but in that Kansas streak, streak you got a one-game lead. This, you, you need to win a game like this, and um, Baylor's certainly capable of beating Texas Tech. Baylor has done itself wonders over the past two weeks in rehabbing its NCAA tournament dossier and going four straight, and it would not shock me at all if Baylor won this game. In fact, I think it would be so very 
Big 12 2018. It would be so very college basketball 2018 if we got a result like that. Um, I will take the Red Raiders because they are at home and because their defense is better, but I'm expecting a close game, um, potentially overtime here. Give me Texas Tech to win uh, in regulation. I'll go 67-65. Just so we're clear, Texas Tech is at Baylor. Oh, never mind. I'm an idiot. This is at Baylor? Yes, it's at Baylor. Give me the Bears. Give me the Bears. 70 to 64, baby. You know what? Give me the Bears. Give me the Bears, too. And shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. The ghost of Terry Teagle will be in Waco on Saturday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. And, of course, Terry Teagle is still living. He's not so. dead. I know, but I what like What are you saying. doing? <laughs> I, like, I like saying the ghost. I like saying about living people what people say about dead people. Like if Cincinnati, like when Cincinnati goes and loses Houston, I might say something like Nick Van Exel's rolling over in his grave. It's very dark. Yeah, I know. It doesn't make much sense, does it? Hey, Kansas, I mean Kansas, Kentucky has a home game against Alabama. When was the last time Kentucky played a game in the SEC in which it did not have the best freshman NBA prospect on the floor? Been Probably when they played Ben Simmons. You know what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hasn't been that long. Never mind. Never mind. So anyway – Stop, rewind, start over. Um, Kentucky uh, has a tremendous opportunity here to, again, stop the bleeding. Another team with staring down a long losing streak. They've lost four straight. Uh, they just look not good against Auburn. And Auburn won by double digits on Wednesday. Alabama, uh, th- it sounds weird because I'm so picky when I use the term lock. If Alabama won at Kentucky, they'd be 18-9. and nine. I, I guess they would not be a lock because if they lost the next four games and they lost in the SEC tournament, that's not lock status. So they will not be a lock with a win. But, oh, my gosh, they would have so much to their resume if they got it done here. And Kentucky, uh, if it loses, yeah. Uh, you know, I know Goodman wrote, like, we can. this is, you know, the most disappointing Kentucky team ever um, and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, good stuff, Goodman. I wrote that like a month ago. But uh, if they don't win here, we can really have – the discussion of them potentially missing the NCAA tournament. They'd be 17-10 and 10 at that point, a five-game losing streak, still with road games against Arkansas and Florida. There's a lot on the line for Kentucky with this game overall. And um, I did think it was interesting that Cal said, you know, I've been due. I, there haven't been a lot of these. I, I, I've been due for this kind of thing, and it's probably good for the soul. I wish it wasn't mine. He's got a point there. That's a 2 o'clock tip on CBS on Saturday. I absolutely will take Kentucky to win. And... Um, to win with with solid margins. Give me them 65-60 over Alabama. I think it'll be a low-scoring, ugly game, but they win it comfortably. Yeah, I keep getting asked questions about Kentucky. Like, are they going to miss the NCAA tournament? And I recognize that it's possible, but um, the the to the extent that people are freaking out about the Wildcats, it's all relative to their preseason expectations or what we're used to seeing from them. They're still so solidly in the NCAA tournament, like I got asked about it this morning and I'm like, they, first they got a top 20 RPI. They got two quad one wins. They've only got two sub 50 RPI losses. Like they're fine. I know they're going through it right now and I know they're not going to be great. And I don't think they're going to advance deep into the bracket, but um, I'd bet a whole lot of money that they're not going to spiral or continue to spiral in a way that, that leads to them, you know, even being on the bubble on selection Sunday, I think they're going to be fine. And, and that getting fine will start on Saturday. I think they'll handle Alabama um, inside Rupp Arena. Let's go to Sunday. There's three games I want to discuss. Duke at Clemson. That's number 12. Duke at number 11. Clemson. Duke, of course, coming off that 
um, impressive victory over Virginia Tech. Like just a few days after Virginia Tech went to Virginia and won, Duke runs Virginia Tech off the court at Cameron Indoor, and they did it while Marvin Bagley wasn't playing. And I thought, I think more than anything, it was just a reminder that Duke does not deserve to be number one in the country right now. Duke does not deserve to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament right now. But when Duke is clicking, I, they, they're, I think they're the, I think they've still got the highest ceiling. When they're, when they're at their best, I think that their best is going to end up being better than everybody else's best. I don't know if it'll always be there. I don't know if they can do it six straight games in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I think that went over Virginia Tech was a reminder that when they are going, they are really strong. And that they did it without Bagley um, was super impressive as well. Now they go to Clemson. They're going to be tested. Can they win a road game there? Uh, yeah, they got a good shot here. Keep an eye to see if Bagley plays in this game. He sat the past two with a mild knee sprain that he suffered in the first half of the North Carolina game last Thursday. Duke got a huge performance from Grayson Allen. Maybe that, that's just what the doctor ordered for him there. Um, Clemson, I got asked earlier this week if, if you know what teams are, are maybe not quite as good as their record, and Clemson's having a nice season, but I did say I thought Clemson was due for, uh, for a loss here, and they did end up doing that against Florida State in overtime. It was a close game, and uh, they've played well despite not having Dante Grantham, who is their best all-around player, out for the season with an ACL tear. They get a great shot here at home. I think it might be just a little bit too Clemson, too on the nose here for the Tigers. I'm going to take the Tigers to lose. I will take Duke to win under the condition that I'm going to presume Bagley is on the floor. With Bagley, a Duke victory. Without, I will take Clemson. I think Bagley will play. Give me the Blue Devils, 84-78. Yeah, I'll take either way. Bagley plays, Bagley doesn't play. I think Duke's still good enough to to go win at Clemson, and it'll be – it'll it'll – It'll be a conversation starter where people, you know, will start writing columns or uh, doing radio hits about, you know, has Duke figured things out? Is Duke now the best team in the country? Um, I, I think they will win at at Clemson. Wichita State, number 19, Wichita State at Cincinnati. That's number five, Cincinnati. Um, you know, they were both in high profile games on Thursday night. Wichita State, um, we talked about it, you know, was hosting Temple and Temple had them down pretty good for a while. But Wichita State comes back wins that game obviously Cincinnati went to Houston and lost uh, didn't uh, bother me too much I mean I dropped him in the top 25 and one but um, I put Houston into the top 25 and one at number 25 now uh, that looks like a team headed to the NCAA tournament so there's three AAC schools now in the top 25 and one I do think that's going to be a three-bid NCAA tournament league and uh, two of the teams uh, are playing each other Uh, on Sunday. Wichita State, can they go into, I was going to say Cincinnati, but it's technically Northern Kentucky. Can they go into Northern Kentucky and beat the Bearcats? Yeah. um, Huge, huge Thursday to Sunday stretch here for the American in the games. We had Thursday night and then Wichita State at Cincinnati. Houston will now go fly to Philadelphia and play a Temple team that's going to need that kind of win. I think Cincinnati is going to win this game and in doing so is going to put the hammer lock on finishing atop the elite standings. That's now in doubt as we sit here and record this podcast given the results of Thursday and Cincinnati not being able to pull out that road win. I will take the Bearcats um, and uh, but I'm still in on Wichita State and as I tweeted on Thursday night, you know, barring some sort of really bad matchup for the Shockers um, like, you know, if they wound up being in the same, I guess, pod as Michigan State or something like that i think i'm going to talk myself into putting that team in the sweet 16 no matter what because i i really still like their personnel and i know the defense is iffy um and because of that even though cincinnati sometimes uh can frustrate you in how inept they'll be offensively versus what you see that they do on the other side of the floor which may, which kind of differentiates them from virginia which has been uh 
for the most part, more consistent on offense. And even if you really watch Virginia um, a little bit smoother offensively than they have in some teams in the past, Cincinnati is still they're chucking rocks up here and here and there. But I will take them to win. I think it will be a a, a close game. Give me the Bearcats, 66-63. Yeah, I think Cincinnati wins. So Utah State really hasn't shown much lately um, that suggests that they can go into a place like Cincinnati and, and and beat the Bearcats, I don't believe. In fact, I know they haven't lost there all season. I don't think the first one is coming uh, on Sunday. So, yeah, give me Cincinnati um, in a close game. But Cincinnati gets out of that with a win. And like you said, uh, probably uh, just about secures uh, an AAC regular season title. The last game. Penn State at number six, Purdue. And I promise you, if you'd uh, brought this game up two weeks ago, I'd have said, nope, that's not something we're going to talk about on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. But Penn State um, absolutely destroyed Ohio State Thursday night with Flavor Flav in the crowd. And um, now if you look at their resume, like they're, they're very much on the bubble. And I think if they were able to win at Purdue – and I don't think they're going to win at Purdue, but for the sake of the conversation, just play along. If they were able to win at Purdue, I think you'd wake up on Monday, and when Jerry Palm and everybody else who does a bracket updates their brackets, I think you'd probably have to have Penn State in there, which would be uh, a, a remarkable um, achievement for, for Pat Chambers, who uh, I, I don't think we're telling secrets here, is, is probably on some level still, still coaching for his job. Yeah, this is a potential job-saving run here for Chambers' guys. And Tony Carr's a fun, he's a fun player, man. Uh, a solid wing, and honestly, like, he's got potential absolutely to be a top five player in that league next season, I believe. I don't think Penn State's going to keep it close here. They're running up against a Purdue team that's going to be pissed off. The Boilermakers have, uh, have hit this three-game skid here. You know, it started with the shocking loss against Ohio State at home last Wednesday. Then they played well but couldn't pull it out against Michigan State. And then the stunner on Thursday night in which Wisconsin was able to win. And this is the worst Wisconsin team uh, since the Pliocene era, basically. And uh, for for the Boilermakers to hit this skid, um, certainly not expected. I expect, I expect Matt Painter to have his guys ready to roar. And I... It's just a bad situation for Prince State to walk into. Maybe they play well and they keep it close, and we will devote even more time to those Nittany Lions on the Sunday night podcast, but I'm not seeing that. I'm, I'm liking Purdue like 81-66 kind of deal here. I think they're going to win easy, get back on the right track, and that will leave Penn State in a situation in which it's still going to have plenty to do in order to play itself into the tournament. Yeah, like I said, I think Purdue wins probably comfortably. But um, either way, this won't be a loss that hurts Penn State. It just the win would be um, uh, awesome for their resume. A loss isn't going to damage their resume. Um, they'll have an opportunity no matter what happens Sunday uh, to still play themselves into the at-large conversation for the NCAA tournament. I think that's the longest we've ever previewed games before. Yeah, I'd like actually I'd like some feedback from listeners. So we I hate I don't like that at all. Okay, I actually do like it, and I feel like listeners enjoy getting reminded about what games are coming, anything happening with the team, storylines, and stuff like that, and just it kind of just builds their excitement toward the weekend. But we'll uh, feel free to hit us up at Matt Norlander, at Gary Parrish CBS. Let us know what you think about that, because it is something that we've always kind of done, because it's kind of part of the natural uh, flow of the podcast in the week in the season. I don't mind doing it. In fact, I like doing it. It does kind of get me a little amped, but I am absolutely interested in listeners' um, overall impressions of, uh, of when we do that kind of stuff. Always willing to take recommendations. GP, I got something I want to throw at you, though, before we wrap up. You ready? Oh. 
Well, let me say one thing first. I am not always willing to take recommendations. I usually don't want to hear um, what you think we ought to do with the podcast. But on this very particular subject, I am interested because I don't like previewing all those games. I find that mostly boring. I'd rather argue for 15 minutes about strength of schedule. Like, swear to God. That's that's what I find more interesting is those types of conversations. Uh, It's the way I do my radio show. I talk about issues more than games. Um, but clearly there's an audience for games as well. So, uh, there's probably a balance in there that felt like, I think we talked about games for like 25, 30 minutes. So, um, I am interested to see what people think. You, would you, cause this is not a normal Ion College basketball podcast. Uh, I don't think. Uh, well, Which, yeah. I mean, define normal Ion College basketball podcast, first of all. And yes, obviously we can, uh, I think what makes it work is we can do a little bit of both there and, uh, and kind of mix it up. All right. Are you ready? For, are you ready for my thing here? I am ready a for little, your little fun thing. exercise, and we are run, we are running right? long, but I'll try and get this done as fast as possible. So, in addition to all this college basketball that we have going on this weekend, what will dominate uh, Saturday night is All Star Game weekend and the dunk contest three point. Um, that'll certainly be something that's that's you know a driving uh, focus of conversation on social media uh, and the All Star Game as well. So, um, this is the first season in which the NBA has let its uh, players pick all-star teams although it was lame they did it on a conference call hopefully that changes we're going to do this with college basketball mm. okay but we're not going to pick 12 dudes because that's going to take too long but we'll do each each of us can pick each of us has to pick seven guys and we'll alternate picks and the only stipulation is you have to pick at least one player from outside of major seven conference so you didn't know this was coming and to be honest i thought about it maybe 30 minutes before we started doing the podcast so i jotted down about 20 names off the top of my head so i've got a few guys in mind with that being said since you didn't know it was coming i'm giving you the benefit of getting the first pick and then i would like you to post our rosters uh on twitter and on the podcast and we can let listeners decide who has the better team of seven okay so who would i take and this is let's let's do this too it's basically like the all-star thing in mind but no this is a straight up these rosters are seven in a five-on-five game um who you think has the better shot to actually win? Let's let's just say it. You know, one winner take all, one game. Who's going to have the better shot? I'll start with Trey Young. Okay, that's fair and totally legitimate. Um, I figured you were going to take Trey Young first. He's been the best player. I am going to take uh, his counterpart at the position, and I will go with Jalen Brunson. I'll take Marvin Bagley. I felt that this was inevitable. Okay, I am going to counter you with DeAndre Ayton. I figured that's way. Okay, now let me think. Because um, this is where I can mess up. I thought like the, the first two for me were pretty obvious. This is where I can get myself into trouble. Let me see, let me see. I'm going through teams. Uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to go Miles Bridges. Okay. You've got Miles Bridges. I am going to stick in the Big East, and given his play this season, I am going to take Trayvon Blewett. I was about to take him. I was really between Bridges and Blewett. Okay. Let me now go and – okay. A lot of interesting options out there. And now this is where it starts to get a little fuzzy. Um, okay, I've got a point guard. I guess I'm playing Bridges at the three. Bagley at the five. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, 
me see. This is an amazing podcast material. It's Just great, man. Let's, um, let's see. Ooh, ooh, I know what I'm doing. Okay. I'm going Mo Bamba. All right, Mohammed Bamba. Down. What are you going to do with me when I'm going Bridges, Bagley, Bamba across the front, the triple Bs? I am going to counter with you on that. I think you know, we've, we've given a lot of love to teams here that we don't talk about a lot on the podcast. But uh, you're going to take the seven-foot Bamba. I'm going to counter down low with a player that's been unquestionably uh, statistically better and has the experience on him. I'm going to go St. Mary's Jock Landale on you. Jock Landale's in bad trouble, brother. I don't know about that, my man. <laughs> you don't, not, not you don't any part of this. All right, who's your fifth pick? Okay, I'm going to take... Watch this. Watch what I'm about to do to you. Colin Sexton. Yep, and I'm going to take Jalen Adams. Well, you just lost All right, that. so let's... We, got, we each have to take two more picks. I have now taken my player from outside a major seven conference. You still have to do it. Right now... I've got junior Jalen Brunson, senior Trayvon Blewett, senior Jock Landale, senior Jalen Adams, and freshman DeAndre Ayton. You Sounds have, like you got a bunch of guys that can't get to the NBA. I got a bunch of dudes that know how to win at the college level. You've got Trey Young, Marvin Bagley, Mohamed Bamba, Colin Sexton, all of whom are freshmen, and then Bridges, <laughs> the gritty veteran as a sophomore. Who's your pick number six? Okay. Um, I'm going to take you, – you're probably right. I probably do need to – lean on a upperclassman here there's a couple am, there's a couple of good ones out there i'm the same guy who did an entire like 20 minutes on the podcast two weeks ago saying if i were john calipari or mike krzyzewski i would recruit guys so they would be juniors and seniors for me and then i'd get to pick my own team all freshmen um let's see here i get two more guys and one's got to come from outside of power seven league and I don't, I don't want to take another freshman. Um, I'll take Devontae Graham. Okay, that's solid. Um, no shame in that whatsoever. I will take... Hmm. You know who I'm going to take? You know who's been really good this year? Mm. I'm going to take Marcus Foster out of Creighton. 20.3 points, 3.7 boards, 2.7 assists. Shooting 45% from three. Give me Marcus Foster. And we're now down to our final pick. You have to take someone from a smaller league. Okay, so can I take an A-10 player? Yeah, sure. Okay. Then I will take... Do you want to take an A-10 player, though? I don't know. I I, I can take... Can I take an American Athletic Conference player? No, they do not count. Okay. But I can take an A-10. I can take a West Coast. Yep. There's a really good senior out there that's on the board for you. But I'm not going to tell you which conference it's in. A really good senior that's on the board. And who will be drafted. And who will be drafted. And he's from outside a top seven league? Yes. Huh. Okay. Let me see. Clicking through teams. Hmm. And he'll be drafted? I, I believe that when it comes time, he will be drafted. He'll be a second-round pick. I think I know who I'm going to take. 
Give me one second. Okay. <laughs> I think I know what I'm going to do. Devin Downey is not on the board. You, you, you better be glad. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I recognize who it is you're, you are saying I should take. But I think I'm stressed out about this. Okay, I'll tell you who I'm trying to pick between right now. I'm thinking of Caleb Martin mm-hmm. or Peyton Aldrich. By all means, same? you're welcome to take either of those players. That's not who's on my mind. Mm. Oh, oh, I know what I'm doing. Okay. I don't. I have no idea where you're going with this. Give me Mike Dom. Okay, that's solid. That wasn't who I was thinking, but that is good. That's a good pick. Mike Dom, South Dakota State. He's been really good. This is Paris's roster. Trey Young, Marvin Woo! Bagley. Yes. Miles Bridges. Woohoo! Muhammad Bamba, Colin Sexton, Devontae yes, Graham, Mike Dom. And I have to make my seventh pick. You know, I'm going to pick the dude that I think is still not getting enough pub for how good he is and how reliable of a player he is. Um, he He's probably, if, if his team is going to get to the Sweet 16, he's going to have to um, take that next step. I'm going to take Seton Hall's Angel Delgado, who was a double-double machine, an absolute load deal with down low. And yeah. uh, he'll back up Jock Landale there. And if I That's if I need a body to body up on uh, on Bagley or Bamba, I, I like Delgado's chances. So that's my team: Brunson, Aiton, Blewett, Landale, Adams, Foster, Delgado, and uh, Parrish has Young, Bagley, Bridges, Bamba, Sexton, uh, Devonte Graham, and Mike Dom. Notable names not drafted: Chandler Hutchinson out of Boise State would have Almost been a solid that. pick, and I think he'll get drafted. Luke May, Kata Bates, Giop, uh, Keenan Evans, Caleb Martin, Shamori Pons, Gary Clark, Landry Shamit. Keelan Martin, Alonzo Trier, just some of the names that we opted not to draft. Now that I've run down those names, do you have any regrets? I have no regrets. I love my team. I'm ready to go. You don't want any part of this. I want every single part of it. Your team would be roasted by my team. And everyone at, knows it. Why do, you say, why do you think that? You're going to take you, – you, you're going Jock Landell and Angel Delgado against Mo Bamba and Miles uh, uh, against Mo Bamba and Marvin Bagley? You're going to talk like I don't have DeAndre Ayton right there as well? Like, what are you doing? You Jaylen still... Brunson, Trey Young, one-on-one right now. It's a fascinating matchup. I'll take Brunson. Just in a, in a do-or-die game at this point. But it is it is very interesting. Um, you do have an edge, Colin Sexton, over Jalen Adams. I, I will not deny that. I got Marcus Foster coming off the bench. The dude's been on fire as of late. It's compelling stuff there. I want to hear back from the listeners, see who they like more. GP, we've cracked the one-hour mark yet again. We're ridiculous. We, we have to stop doing this. I, trust me, I'm, uh, I'm happy to stop doing this. I've got like a million other things to do, including for the next 70 minutes, I've got to do 10-minute radio hits on CBS Sports Radio, radio affiliates. i got seven interviews coming up back to back to back to back right after talking to, for an hour with you. I'm so tired of speaking. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you Sunday. Go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast. Please rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. It means a lot. I thank you in advance for your time. We will talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care.